have faith in God is not a stagnant state. It's a journey. As a believer, we should grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. Walk with Alan Cutting and many other believers as together we walk the believer's journey. Aloha and welcome again to the believer's journey. It's so nice to have you back again this week. And today we're going to uh, continue the questions on the fly that we didn't quite finish uh, two weeks ago. And with me, I have our wonderful guest, Angela Montez. Hi. And uh, I really enjoyed her last time, and so I asked her to come back. And so, anyway, say hello, Angela. Hi. It's Wednesday. <laughs> I'm, I don't know why I'm excited this week. It's Wednesday, but I am. <laughs> Tell us again what you do and what you work for and, and so forth. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, currently right now I am a nurse supervisor for Nurse Family Partnership Program at the Children's Shelter. Um, and the Nurse Family Partnership Program is a high evidence-based program that provides in-home services to first-time moms with a registered nurse. Um, we start prenatally, and then we can stay with the mom until the baby turns two and they graduate from our program. Um, it is considered by the state the silver bullet in child abuse and prevention. So uh, it's an amazing job. I was a labor and delivery nurse for, gosh, almost 20 years um, and loved it, but felt like I wanted to make a bigger difference in the community, so it led me to Nurse Family Partnership. Um, and the Children's Shelter has been an amazing place um, to work, and it uh, continues to grow in the services that we provide to Bear County through foster, adoption, um, counseling, different parenting programs. Um, so it's an amazing place, um, but God is moving me forward. Um, so the success that we have had at the Children's Shelter, I get to spread around the rest of the state of Texas by being a nurse consultant for Nurse Family Partnership to man- help with other sites with their um, programs. So I'm excited. And then I'm on the, I have to put a plug in for church under the bridge um i'm on the board of directors and i'm the sunday food manager so i just go serve food which is amazing um that's what i have started a year ago just slopping food on a plate and i was like i'm here to serve what else do you want me to do and it's kind of led me to be on the board and i'm excited about the changes we've got um because we've re went under to from church under the bridge to communities under the bridge because we do more than just church um, we evangelize, um, disciples. We've talked about this on Sunday, Alan. Discipleship is kind of like for those believers who already believe you're discipling them with Jesus. Um, and evangelism is more of going out and, uh, reaching people who don't know him and bringing them in. And so we're more evangelistic. We provide medical, dental, um, animal care services to the homeless. We feed them. We had shelter in place when we had the winter storm and, we slept, some of us slept in the kitchen area um, while everybody else slept in the sanctuary, our homeless men. Um, so it was amazing. So those are two things that I really love doing and getting ready to transition into being a empty nester with my daughter going off to, one going off to the military and the other one going off to college soon. So That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a lot, right? It's pretty amazing. I, I've never had a, um, a time where I had I've ever run out of ministers or directors of, of charities or nonprofits in San Antonio. We seem to have an abundance of people in some kind of helping people in the city or organizations or uh, some type of missionary work or ministry work. It's pretty pretty cool in San Antonio. So, And I'm, I'm pretty impressed that you're pretty involved in all these things. For sure, I do. It's that um, being the hands and feet of Jesus and just serving where he tells me to go. 
Um, there's a lot of people out there who do that, that um, really are on fire for Christ and really want to just help the community, bring people in. And the best way to bring people to Jesus is by being the example. That's what he asks of us, is to be the example of him. He has hands and feet. Um, so that's what we just try to do. Um, Mike, I'm going to screw up his last name, Herberta. I'm sure I'm, I'm sorry, Mike. <laughs> Mike P was what you're going to call you. But uh, Mike is with uh, North Rock, and he does an amazing amount of outreach in the city with taking it to the streets, um, Haven for Hope, Food Bank. He's always out there serving um, Valerie Salas from Corazon Ministries. She literally was taking her car out and picking people up and taking them to shelters during that ice storm. Um, there's so many people out there. Uh, Kathy Fletcher with uh, Voices for Children, with her um, advocacy and early childhood education and child abuse and neglect. Um, my boss, you've got Sanchez and Annette Rodriguez, um, are out in the community always doing great things. So, yeah, there's a lot of people out there who have that heart to serve, and uh, I'm glad they do, and I'm glad I'm one of those people. Yeah, I'm pretty impressed with our church, too. We go to a church, it's called the Fellowship of San Antonio. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, they come down to the communities under the bridge, too. And they come down and they speak, yeah. and they also, uh, in our bulletin, they always have three or four uh, ministries that are listed there mm-hmm. in our bulletin to call up, support, help out, and so forth, which I think is really cool. Yeah, Pastor so, Royce is pretty awesome. He really is. Yeah, so I do too. He's he's really funny. He was on our show uh, several months ago, and he was really nervous. And I've never seen Royce nervous. I mean, he's he's just pretty calm. But he uh-huh. came here with his doctoral, you know, papers, <laughs> thinking he was going to have to, you know, look things up. And, and it was he was just so funny. But uh, uh, he's a really yeah. really cool pastor. He is. And so. Philip and Monica Valadez um, and O'Brien, his wife Stacy Satcher. Um, come a lot to down to communities under the bridge and do other things in outreach community in Bear County. So they're, yeah. they're great people. Well, before we go on, and oh, by the way, all you single guys, take note that <laughs> Angela is single and she's pretty amazing. So anyway, before we go on with our show, I, I do want to um, say a couple things about our sponsors. I want to thank the sponsors we do have. I do want to let people know if you're watching and you're looking for a ministry to support and you like this one, please go to our website at www.thebelieversjourney.net and you can either donate there or you can email, uh, send an email to us at, at uh, konakid at thebelieversjourney.net and let us know you'd like to su- either support us, donate to us, or become a sponsor for your business. And if you're a sponsor, we put your name on our website. We put a little banner across our uh, video and our stuff uh, every single show we have several times during the show. And uh, we are nonprofit. You do get a tax uh, deduction at the end of the year, so um, that makes it really nice. Anyway, so today we're at uh, questions on the fly, and we're going to continue. And so um, you are our moderator. You're the one with the questions. Well, that's awesome. He liked the torture so much. He asked me back. <laughs> so, Alan. Also, make sure you tell us who, who where the questions are coming from. Okay, I will. Yeah. This is from Tim in the United States. <laughs> Tim, this is for you. Um, he's on our Bible study group when he asks this question. So why do they call the Bible the Old and the New Testament? I think it should be called the First and the Second Testament. Okay. 
So, and I know Tim, and Tim's one of these analytical guys that <laughs> takes everything apart and puts it back together. Um, the actually term of the Old and New Testament wasn't even thought about until about the second century. And what they, the person that did this at the time, one of the fathers of Christianity or whatever back then, second century, he believed that they should have a separation in Scripture, that which was from Judaism of before Jesus and that which was after Jesus. So actually, I think in his writings is after the resurrection. So the writings that came after Jesus' resurrection would be the new stuff, and before that would be the old stuff. Now, I actually agree with Tim. I mean, he thinks it should be the first and the second uh, testament. We're not going to change this, but uh, I do like <laughs> the idea of first and test second because I think too many theologians, too many Christians, too many teachers, too many people think of the Old and New Testament as something that is, if it's old, you don't need to worry about it anymore, follow it anymore study it anymore, read it anymore, because it's old. And a lot of your, and actually a lot of your theologians, they, and churches and denominations think that, that because it's the Old Testament, that they don't need to worry about or study anything or follow anything but the New Testament, which is really kind of a misnomer because the New Testament, I mean, you take the book of Revelation. If you had the book of Revelation and no Old Testament, it wouldn't make any sense whatsoever. It wouldn't, you couldn't cross-reference it. The fact that Jesus in the Gospels quoted the Old Testament time and time and time again. Peter quoted the Old Testament. Paul quoted the Old Testament. It's not an old and new. It's a new is the following of the old. It's a continuation. So... If you think about the fact that in the right during Jesus' day and after Jesus, for at least about 100 years or so, these people were mostly Jews and they followed the scriptures, which at that time the scriptures were, as we would call them, the Old Testament because the writings of the New Testament weren't even around. They were just letters and this and that. It wasn't even indoctrinated as scripture. So basically, it's kind of weird that we do call it old and new. Or it's even not so good that we consider, if we consider the Old Testament something we don't need to follow, well, then we've got problems because if Jesus quoted out of the Old Testament that we need to follow it, and Paul and Peter and John and all these other writers, you know, and Hebrews, you know, also the writer of Hebrews, then we're kind of taking the Bible aside and saying, well, it's contradictory because the New Testament will be contradictory if we do consider that teaching. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think we had said this in one of our studies early on. You'd mentioned, I mean, the Old Testament predicts a lot of things that happen in the New Testament. And um, one of my nurses, um, she's very faithful, but she had pretty much just read the New Testament, and that's what she studied on. Um, And so we had this conversation, and I was talking about the Old Testament. She had no idea what I was talking about. And so um, I went and bought her a Bible. And I said, okay, <laughs> I need you to cross-reference you know, cross some of these things. And you're going to see that some of the stuff that doesn't make sense in the New Testament, you're going to find the reasons why in the Old Testament. Um, and she did do that. And so she's like, you're right. I do understand a little bit more after reading the Old Testament. I understand more of the New Testament. So, I mean, you have to put those both together. The, the Old helps predict some of the New Testament that we're living. You know, you, you can't take that history away, right? Yeah. 
Well, well, even even not necessarily quotes from the Old Testament, but even teachings. Like, for example, Mm -hmm. when Jesus taught at the um, Sermon on the Mount, he made a statement. He's talking about money. Then he makes a statement that if the good, if the eye is good, the body is good. If the eye is bad, the body is bad. Mm-hmm. And some of your commentators actually take that as if you have a good eye, you are morally good and morally bad. And really, that's not what it means at all. There's actually a Jewish proverb that talks about the eye being good, the body is good. And what it actually literally means is if the eye is good, you're generous. Mm-hmm. If the eye is bad, you're stingy. And it's an actual Jewish proverb that you would get only from old, you know, or First Testament type teaching. So, and unfortunately, we have, like I said, commentators that teach it without the Old Testament Hmm. background. And so we'll get a lot of stuff there that we won't have that benefit if we knock out the Old Testament. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. It makes sense historically, too, just thinking about, I guess how um, Jewish people were perceived or are perceived for some people. And that probably goes back to that piece of it, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I just made, that was interesting when you said that it hit my mind. I'm like, oh, and I wonder if that's where that came from. I don't know. But yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Okay, Tim, we did your question. <laughs> I get extra kudos on Sunday. <laughs> okay, this is interesting. Um, this is from the Philippines. And I kind of want to know what your answer is on this. So this person commented, I guess on our last show, um, I don't want to believe, I want to know. How do you, how do you take that question or how do you take that statement? What's it saying to you? I think that a lot of Christendom, okay, and I'm talking about all over the world, we have our Bibles and they're they're translated, unfortunately, I think they're translated word for word, and there are some words we cannot translate perfectly over. For example, the word believe. And since he said, I I don't want to believe, I want to know, I think, unfortunately, we've taken that word believe from the Greek or from the Hebrew, okay, either way, has a different meaning from what the word believe actually means in English or Spanish or Romanian or Russian, these are the kind of the, the main languages that are actually watching our show. Mm-hmm. Because the word believe, typically, if you go to Webster's Dictionary or any dictionary, it literally will say, believe is to understand something that is true. But the word believe in the Greek or the believe in Hebrew, haman, which is, I believe that's the word, what it is in... Um, uh, in Hebrew and in Greek, it's pistuo, literally means it's something we act upon and follow, okay, when we're like being taught or told. It's like obedience, if you will. Mm-hmm. So if, we're, if we don't think of it as obedience, we're thinking of it as something we understand. We've got a wrong concept of what it means to believe in Jesus. So to believe in Jesus is to follow his teachings. It's an action because the word is a verb. It's an action verb. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you take that word that is action verb, then we need to know that what we need to do, what we need to act upon, how we need to obey, if you will. But if we take the word believe as we see today in our dictionary, it's not an action wor- verb. It's mm-hmm. a passive verb. So there's two totally different ideas. What? Oh. <laughs> 
So I'm reading Joyce Meyer's Bible study on um, Battlefield of the Mind. My friend Joyce Engler did it a long time ago, and she told me about it, and I've just been putting it off, and I finally decided to do it. Um, and that was what I read this yesterday and today was the passive mind and how the passive mind is actually a, a playing field for the devil because it allows that empty space because the, your mind is um, – when you let the devil – when you have a passive mind, you allow thoughts to come in that shouldn't be there. And so um, our thoughts should be of God or what is holy and to be active and to going out there and being the hands and feet of Jesus, right? Um, not just with our hands and feet physically, but also with our mind as well. Um, and it helps to thwart that passive mind that allows for those the enemy to come in and attack. Um, because it does. I mean, our mind is where he attacks the most. Because if he attacks our mind, then physically we'll start acting out what our mind believes. Well, think about this. It's unfortunate. All of Christendom in the world today, okay, and I don't care what country you're in, what churches you go to, it's pretty much the same. When you think about all the people in all the world who have a tie or a go to a church to Christianity of some type, and believe, think that because they understand that God and Jesus is real, he went, died and went to the cross, that they're, they're saved and going to heaven because they have this understanding mm-hmm. how, how they're being taught incorrectly because it's not a proper teaching according to the actual original language. And the original language doesn't say that we need to understand it. The original language says we need to live it. We need to be active and do and follow the teachings. Mm-hmm. We hear that so often. I hear it at church, and I know we've talked about it in Bible study that, you know, we'll do our check boxes. Like, I, you know, I went to church, I volunteer here, I do this, right? But check boxes, but are we really living it? Because, you know, we go out and, and do the things that we shouldn't be doing that leads us to more sin. Um, when then we go up to church on Sunday and say, well, I believe, right? But then we're not really showing the actions behind that. We do believe that this is where I'm firmly rooted. This is, you know, I'm strong in my belief. I'm strong in my faith. And these are things that are not going to be okay for me anymore. Yeah. And even the word faith, you know, the word faith from the Greek has the same uh, prefix as the word believe. I mean, as in the Greek, pistuo, okay, P-I-S-T, Pistas, P-I-S-T, has the same prefix of the same word. And that word faith is also an action verb. Mm -hmm. So when you read uh, Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter, okay, everybody wants to stop at the first verse, you know. And and then it's all something we understand again. But if you read on about what faith really is, it's about when God told Noah to build the ark, he built the ark. That was faith, that he actually built it. Mm-hmm. Abraham was told to take his son for an offering, and he took him. It's the action. It's the obedience mm-hmm. that shows you have faith. Mm-hmm. And that is so important because that's a teaching all the way through the First Testament and the Second Testament. <laughs> for both. <laughs> Tim, did you hear that? First and second. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh Oh, man, I lost my train of thought. I was going to say something on that. Um, I don't know. I'll think about it later. But, yeah. Anyways, okay. So next question. Next question. Good? Otherwise, we're going to be stuck on that one because I was like, oh, we're going to dive deeper. And I could go forever on that conversation. It's really good. 
Um, okay, this one's from Eastern Europe, and this is interesting. Um, so does God show mercy to intellectually, developmentally delayed, and to children? And what I mean is, do they go to heaven? Read that again. So does God show mercy to the intellectually delayed, intellectually developmentally delayed, and to children? So when you say delayed, you mean that they're they're delaying their development? They're delaying development. Like you might have someone who's got, you know, Down syndrome or they may be autistic or they call it intellectual developmental dislike. How is somebody going to understand that, though? In... So mentally disabled, I mean, okay. a word maybe someone else would understand. Right. So, yeah, another country, they may not understand. Yeah, they may not understand that. And, but, yeah. Politically correct way to say it. I'm, I'm being PC, man. <laughs> I'm being PC. <laughs> well, <clears throat> the Bible doesn't really address it. And it's really funny because there are areas, like we talk about, you said children, too, right? Correct. I think we have a, had a, a question once before, or several months ago, about children and going to heaven. You know, when, when David, when King David had a child and he died, and, and David said there's nothing he could do to fast for the child to come back to him, but he will eventually see the child and go to him. I think there's other areas in the Bible that talk about, you know, that children will, you know, commute or... or combine and so forth. I believe that in that same terminology and understanding comes the same thing with any person who doesn't have that understanding. Uh, I think James in James it says something about if you if you know something is wrong and you sin and you do it, you're wrong you're living in sin. Okay? So the term there is to know. If you know, if you don't know, well, then you don't know. And I think what we have to go back to that I've always said, if you want to interpret Scripture and understand something that isn't black and white in the Scripture, you need to go to God's um, character, His attributes. So God is holy, okay? And in His holiness, He's also just. So if He's just because He's holy, then therefore, when you look at children, or when you look at those who are disabled mentally, or however you want to say it, um, that don't understand right or wrong, or sin or, or non-sin, I believe, okay, and, and there are differences of opinion here, but this is my mm-hmm. belief, I believe that you have to go on God's character. If God's character says that he's just, then um, those people will be under God's mercy and covered under the blood of Jesus. I mean, Jesus said that uh, that I, the Father, all that the Father gives me, you know, that I'll not, you know, lose. And so, basically, or something like that's my paraphrase. I believe that we need to not decide that we're going to sit on the throne of judgment and become God and say, well, they can and they cannot. Oh, it's a children. How old are you? Oh, you're seven years old. You should know better. You'll go to hell if you die. I think that we need to understand that the Bible never gives us the throne of judgment over people ever. Mm-hmm. So any any church, denomination, pastor, teacher, lay person, whoever you are, you're not God, you're not Jesus and you have no throne to be make that judgment and those those people who do are in uh, sin. How about mm-hmm. that? Because you should know better that you're not God to be the judge over people, whether they're going to be saved or not. And to teach that is out of out of 
is in conflict with Scripture. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really the crux of it. What is God's characteristic? How does that go? God has mercy. God is uh, God of mercy coming from holiness. He is just coming from holiness. All that, I think, tells us that um, we shouldn't worry about it because it's in God's hands no matter what. Yeah, I think that's very true. It kind of brought me back to what I was going to say in that other question. (laughs) (laughs) Was um, when I read that statement, um, I don't want to believe, I want to know. It talked about faith for me. It's that, and we've all heard this, like, how do you know the chair you sit in is going to hold you, right? You have to have faith when you sit down. You know, how you know with the floor you're walking across is going to hold you? You have to have faith that it's not going to crumble, right? We have faith in these things. We don't really know for sure that this chair is going to hold me, which I hope it does. And if it doesn't, please, you're free Well, the way you know is to sit but, in the um, chair or walk on the floor. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. right? And so we don't really know much about heaven. We have theories and we have people have done research, especially people who have had um, near-death life experiences. Um but again, we really won't know until we're there, you know. Um, and so, you know, in, in labor and delivery, we would have people come in to baptize babies before they would pass away when they've had anomalies or, you know, to preterm um, to survive. Um, and so that was always a question. You know, that was always a question on the parents' minds. I know if my baby's not baptized, are they going to go to heaven? Or are they not going to go to heaven? Yeah. You know, are they going to be saved? Are they going to be okay? And what, it, what happens with a child who's born into a family who doesn't know Christ, you know, and they end up passing away, whether it's from child abuse and neglect or something, you know, are they going to go to heaven? Those are all questions that, you know, we don't really have answers what I'm hearing you say from the Bible. But, I mean, there are different theories of belief depending on your doctrine that you believe in, right? Because, you know, I know when I was... Well, I think the theories come on based on how you want to interpret the mm-hmm. Bible, how you want to interpret Scripture, but I go back to if you're going to interpret things like that, you have to go back to well, who is God? What is his? What are his characteristics? Well, God is holy. Number one. Number two, from his holiness come things like love. Comes you know out of love comes forgiveness. From holiness comes justness. From holiness comes mercy. So you have his characteristics, and in that, you know you can make a better determination and a, and a lot better and smarter in, interpretation. Then if you looked at a passage and say, oh, well, this is what I think and believe and not take in the whole scope of not just the word itself and cherry picking the word, but also looking at God's characteristic and putting it together. There was something I think I didn't answer on that statement about I want to I don't want to just believe I want to know there are if you're reading your Bible. okay, there are passages in the Bible that help you know, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, so if you're following Jesus, if you're following his uh, commandments, if you're following, you know, his teachings, the Bible says you will know that you are his. Mm-hmm. OK, so in that respect, then if you if you are his, then you know that you're going to remain in him. And then you also know that you're going to live with him eternally. So the Bible teaches all these things. And so that's how, you know, you know, that first off, you need to be active in your living. 
Okay, you need to follow the teachings, follow, be obedient. Mm-hmm. And in that, the Bible says, because you are, you'll, you'll be in him, remain in him and live with him forever. And that's how you know. And this reading the passage, reading the scripture is really of the utmost important to help you solidify that feeling, that thinking, that understanding mm-hmm. of where you are in him in salvation. Yeah. I agree. I I mean, I'm an old Christian, but I can tell you I'm a new believer, if that makes any sense. How old are you? You don't look old. (laughs) (laughs) I'm 15. No, I'm not telling you. I'm between 40 and 50. How about there? Somewhere in there. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I was born into the church from an infant and raised, and, you know, we read the Bible, we had to memorize verses, and I went to, you know, vacation Bible school, and I went to camp, and I did all the things you're supposed to do, Um, but I didn't really believe believe i think until i really we all have you know trials and tribulations in our lives and um i'm gonna make a correction last time i said it was micah tyler with this the song it wasn't it's big daddy weave <laughs> my story um this is my story and it's to use to tell of him so my story talks about jesus my story shows where he has come in and kept me from harm and moved me on to better things and used those ashes for beauty. I mean, totally over and over again because I'm stubborn. Like, I am so stubborn. I'm working on it. But, <laughs> you know, and I had a, a friend tell me that they didn't have that redemption story, you know, and because I think when you have that and when you know he has moved in your life and you can see it in your life, then you know that there are some people who have believed from day one and who believe because they believe. And they don't have that because they haven't strayed away from him. So their life has been a different path and been easier. And I'm jealous of that because, man, I wish I wouldn't have all those mistakes. But I also am grateful for him because it's brought me here. And it's what it's part of the reason why I serve the way I serve. Yeah. I mean, it really is a big reason why I serve. Well, I think that's true with anybody. I, I am. I, I believe in second, third, fourth, fifth chances. I just believe that, you know, uh, that people aren't all good or all bad. I think there's a little bit in both of us and all of us have that little bit of each and, um, and tapping into people's strengths, which is what God does. Yeah. I mean, there's two ministers that I know of. One is Ray Jones and the other is Lon Ekdahl. Ray's coming in on Monday, next Monday. Is he really? Yeah. So these two ministers, I mean, they've been following Jesus or understanding Jesus or living for Jesus since they were knee high to a grasshopper. And mm-hmm. so their lives, you know, I envy that I, I've gone through cause I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't have any understanding of God till I was, you know, mid or older teenager. Mm-hmm. And, and that understanding was just very minute. So I had to learn everything. And then I had to deal with all my dysfunctional lifestyle that I had to change through the next Decade, mm-hmm. so you, you envy somebody like Ray or Lon, mm-hmm. who just it just there because yeah. it always has been. So yeah, yeah. Okay, another question. <laughs> Sorry, we're talkers. He's gonna make me come back a third time. No, not really. But <laughs> he might, but I'll get through these questions. Okay. Um, so this kind of taps on the love thing. So I read and hear more and more that the essence of God is love, and that no one will suffer or go to hell, and that all will go to heaven because. We are all God's children, and God lives in all of us. Is this teaching correct in the Bible? Okay. So there's actually a couple questions there. Number one, 
Let, let's knock out the one, we are all God's children, God lives in all of us. Well, that's a false teaching, okay? I know there are denominations that believe that God is in every single human being alive and so forth. And none of the Bible teaches that, okay? Uh, you are, God is only in those who turn to him and make him Lord of their life. This is true in the Old Testament or the First Testament. And this is true in, in the New Testament or Second Testament, so basically, this is where it's at. If I had nothing to do with Jesus, nothing to do with God whatsoever, he's not living with me. The whole, the Spirit of God is trying to convict me to turn to him so that, you know, God will come in. I mean, the whole idea of the passage in Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If you open the door, I'll come in. Mm-hmm. Well, that's saying right there that obviously he's not in unless you open the door to him. Mm-hmm. So... Surrendering it all. Yeah, and, and and so you have contradictions in Scripture if you think that way and, and teach that way. The other thing I hear you saying is, is, since God is love, the teaching of God is love and no one goes to hell is another bad teaching in Scripture. Okay, first off, uh, the essence of God isn't love. The essence of God is holiness. God is holy, number one, first and foremost. The reason that God's love is perfect is because it comes from his holiness. Mm-hmm. That's what makes all his attributes, the fact that he has ang- his anger, he is jealous. Those come from holiness. He is, he is jealous and a- has anger or is anger in a holy way. If he didn't have the holiness, then obviously we probably wouldn't have a perfect God. We wouldn't have a holy God because it would be spread all over the place. God is, is holy and his love comes from holiness. And the Bible talks about, you know, weeping and gnashing of teeth for eternal purposes. He talks about, you know, having the lake of fire and, and, and hell and so forth. So the Bible teaches this in the Old Testament. In Hebrew teaching, the Bible talks about the resurrection and those living, you know, in the bosom of Abraham are protected from those who were not. You know, from the suffering. So we have this teaching, old and old and new, front and back. I mean, it's just there. And I think that um, if you're going to follow the teaching that God is love and nobody goes to hell, so we're all heaven, so everybody can sin and live in sin and do whatever we want, and we're all going to meet with Him anyway. So it does. Why does it matter? Is basically you might as well take your Bible and throw it away because it's it's useless. Bible doesn't teach this, and that's why you need to read your Bible and see what it actually really says. Mm-hmm. I think the people that teach these things um, have no clue of Scripture because they're not reading it. I actually c- confronted somebody one time when when they said there's no hell, no lake of fire, no s- any of this. And I said, well, in Revelation, it said that God created the lake of fire for torment. You know, for, you know, Satan and his angels and so forth. And the person came back to me. Oh, no, the lake of fire is God's burning love. And I'm like, oh, my word, you're, you're taking the scripture and you're twisting it in such improportional ways. And that very book says if you change anything in here, you know, you'll be erased from the book of life. And that's very true. I think a lot of us listen to. Not, you know, and it's good to ha- listen to other people who are ministering, you know, like Joyce Meyer or Priscilla Schreier or, um, you know, the ministers, right? But a lot of us just, and I, and I, I was like this. That's why I say old Christian too, but new believer, because now I'm, I'm really in depth in the Bible and learning more. But um, we tend to just believe and take it at their word instead of questioning going back to the Bible. Is what they said true, mm-hmm. right? And that's where it really is coming <clears throat> from. 
and they help us to understand. But then again, they are human and we all are misguided at times. I know. Oh, it was perfect. I was, um, I walked my neighborhood and, um, one of the neighbors that I see quite often walking as well, he stopped and pulled over and talked about his game of golf and, um, how he has, sometimes he gets off course and he has to stop and go back and recalibrate. And I thought we do that on our own lives as well. We get off course sometimes. And I think ministers do as well because they are human beings. And then they have to be pulled back and recalibrate themselves to go back out. Yeah. And I think it's important when I was, uh, well, even before I worked in any pastoral position, I knew living with Lon Ekdahl, I knew that, you know, Lon had other pastors he talked to, to, not necessarily disciple, maybe so. I think he had some older ones that were more discipling, but he had those to pray for him that he would pray for, to talk to, to share with. Because you can't go to your own people and do that. You have to go to those of your own peers. So I, I believe that it's important that we all have those kind of people, especially those of you who are in ministry of some type. If you're a missionary or if you're a, a pastor or Bible teacher or professor of some type, you need to have somebody to go to because of the fight we have within us. Oh, yeah. It's so important. And, and pastors, professors, missionaries are not immune to sin. No, and that's where the whole thing, I think, people get confused on judge yet not be judged. It's not so much that we're judging, it's the holding the brothers accountable. It's not judging them, but holding accountable like, hey, you're kind of off course right here with this. Yeah. Um, And being a Christian, you can say, oh, man, you're right. I am off course. Or if you can defend your position, then find it biblically. Yeah. Right? Then then defend it. But um, it's different that holding brother accountable and judging others is two very different things. And I think those have been very confused. And and another thing on this question is last point here I want to make. I, I know that there might be people that think that uh, there can't be hell because if God is love, why would he, how can he send people to hell? And actually in the scriptures, God never sends anybody to hell. He basically has a provision to live with him. And we can reject that provision to live with him. We can reject, you know, making him Lord of our life. And in rejection of that, we're basically saying that we don't want to live with you. We're going to go our own direction. And that takes us our own choice to uh, hell or the lake of fire, however you want to say. In other words, you're not going to live with God forever if you choose not to live with him now. Mm-hmm. It's your choice. It, basically, it's your choice. We all have that free will. Right. So. Yeah. Okay. So this one's from the Philippines. Um, And I was interested to hear this too last time. So I'm really glad that we did this again because I want to hear the answer to this. Um, You teach that a Christian is only a Christian if they follow actively teachings of Jesus. I have always been taught that as long as I believe in Jesus, I have eternal life. Like it says in John 3.16, I believe that Jesus is son of God. I believe that he died on a cross and I believe that he rose from the grave. I am shy and very private. I do not share my belief in public because I am very private. I do read my Bible faithfully and pray to God every day. Do you tell me that I'm not Christian because I'm not active or because I do not go against my own personality and teach others about Jesus? I am not a minister and know what to always do or say. I have very important second question. If I'm doing this wrong, can you help me understand because I want to love Jesus for what he did for me and live with him forever. 
Wow. That's deep, right? Not only really that, that's that's a real one of the most honest questions yeah, I've ever heard. That vulnerability. That's yeah. awesome. I really I really admire the people from the Philippines. The questions that they are bringing, the statements that they are bringing, um, some of them are just amazing. So first off, I think we covered the first part of that about believing. Mm -hmm. So really, John 3.16, for example, that's the verse you brought up. Uh, God so loved the world that he who believes. In other words, he who acts upon and follows the teachings of Jesus shall not, shall uh, have everlasting life. So that part we've talked about. Now, when it comes to the part about, um, she says something about her belief, faith, or Christianity is personal, no, yeah, she's private, very private. private, she's, private. A, she's introverted okay. it and doesn't go out and profess it to everybody. Okay, so and that kind of leads into the gifts of spirits, I think, too, which was on. There's a couple of things on that. First off, the life of a believer is not private. It's personal, yes, but it's not private. Anywhere you read in the scripture, the Jews of the Old Testament did not live in a private relationship with God. The whole world knew that they had their God and not many gods. And so they people would attack them because they were very open about their following of, of Yahweh. Okay, so that's very prominent in the Old Testament teaching. And so we have today, same thing. We have, if we're going to uh, be a believer, a Christian, uh, it says that we need to confess Jesus with our mouth, believe in our heart that he is Lord. If we do that, what we're doing is we have this conviction which in, which inside says, I'm going to live for him, follow him, out of whatever he has for me to do. So as he is our master, we're the servant, then basically, then we need to take his teachings and follow him. If you follow it, it says that we need to uh, share with others, talk to others, pray for others, deal with others help others, share our own stuff with others. It says we need to do that. It says that in, in, in Ephesians chapter 4. We need to, when we get together, we need to do this. In chapter uh, 10, I believe, is in Hebrews. It says we need to not forsake, but get together in assembly. Why do we get together? So we can share with one another, pray for one another, you know, and deal with that. So really... Believing in Jesus is, is this action again. And your personality might be introverted. It doesn't mean you need to stand on a corner with a Bible and preach it. Everybody walks by. I, I totally understand that. And I don't do that. I don't know if, if I have ever done that. Maybe Susan, kind of. Susan, has he? Don't tell me the truth. I know it. <laughs> but but I do believe you still need to take part in in doing things. We had a guy on our show oh, a month ago or so. Um, from I Outreach, and and they do witnessing, and what the, he he teaches people how to witness, not and he teaches it that anybody and everybody can do this, okay. So basically, they have these little cards that have stuff on it that they can just set somewhere on a table, on a counter, someplace where somebody else can pick it up, they can read it, and if they feel like they want to go to the website, watch this video, and type in that they want to talk to somebody. That's a way of witnessing mm -hmm. without having to be altering your personality, if you will. Mm -hmm. Okay? We're not supposed to come to Jesus and remain the same. Believe me, I when I, I came, I'm not the same. I'm somebody totally different. I was shy of a lot of things and not shy of other things. 
Um, You're not shy at all. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But that's a good thing because it's led you to here. But for for a long time, I was very intimidated with girls. Very intimidated. I would never for. Most of my life, it seems like I would even ask a girl out. They asked me out. I was, wow, that's not what Susan said. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but it's, you don't want to change that personality of you being introverted or extroverted, but there's ways to work around that. Understand, again, that it's not private. It is personal. You do have a personal relationship. It's not the same as the other people, but it is not private either. And that's what thing we have to understand. Very good. I like that answer. Um, so this kind of feeds in that as well. This is from Eastern Europe. In my home church, our teacher taught us that the gifts of the Spirit were only for the first church and not for today. Is this true, and can you explain? Okay. Um, the gifts of the Spirit, There, there's so much controversy about this in different denominations and different ideas. I believe there are a lot of people teaching different ideas of the gifts of the Spirit without without teaching the gifts of the Spirit or the Holy Spirit because they don't understand. This is my, my belief. This is my opinion. And I've heard people say this. When I was a, a young teenager, I asked about the gifts of the Spirit, and I had a pastor who told me, well, they were only from the, the early church, and they're not for today also. And I totally disagree with that. Um, I, I don't see evidence of that. I see evidence of uh, others. And the reason, one of the reasons why I don't think it's of the early church only is because of the very reason why you have the gifts of the Spirit. Paul puts it in perspective. He has the gifts of the Spirit uh, make the people as a unit. It's the body, one whole body. Everybody has different gifts to do different things to mm-hmm. pull together. And we, we honor each other. We build each other up. We become stronger to edify and honor Jesus. That tells me the gifts of the Spirit should be very much alive today and forever as long as the church is alive. So I don't believe that we could ever say the gifts of the Spirit or Holy Spirit were only of the first church. I think that's a, a bad teaching. Uh, again, mostly because of Paul's definition or explanation of why we have the gifts. I mean, even in Romans, he talks about using the gifts for, for each other. And in Ephesians, he talks about using the gifts for each other. It's building each other up. And so basically, if we don't have the gifts to build each other up, then what do we have? I mean, that's very, very much of a good foundation. And as I teach in the Holy about the Holy Spirit, you have the fruit of the Spirit, which gives us the idea of living in that characteristic of God to bring in the fruit of the, the gifts of the Spirit, so that we can nurture the gifts and it can blossom in our lives to honor one another and build each other up in strength. And I think that's really important. And unfortunately, we have a lack of teaching about the Holy Spirit to understand those gifts. So I think people that usually say those things or teach those things like this is because they don't have the proper education about the Holy Spirit to begin with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do. And that goes back to that witnessing. You use the gift that God gave you to witness, whether that's speaking out or if it's serving, if it's leading, that's witnessing also. You're witnessing for Christ using those gifts that God has given you to be able to... Well, I, I believe every believer should be is supposed to be a witness in some form. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that every Christian or every believer needs to stand on a corner and preach. Mm-hmm. But you have different ways of witnessing, and you use what God has given you to be that witness. And you don't need 
to, for example, I don't go out as a uh, pastor, missionary, evangelist to witness and speak to non-Christians. That's n- God has called me to speak to those who are in the church, in the four walls, in those who are seeking the Bible, to teach those who are believers or looking to be believers. So I'm on a different platform. Mm-hmm. You know, people like Ken Freeman that we all know or, or Ray Jones who talks to those who are not who are evangelizing to non-Christians and they come in the fold, that's where I began to teach those people who have come in. Yeah. So we have different different areas mm-hmm. and minds in that that arena. So I don't go out like they do. I'm here as they come in, I'm here to teach them. So we all are should speak out and witness in some manner, form, however it fits your personality is fine, but you still need to be a witness. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's so important. Um <clears throat> I'm not, well, my kids say that my cooking wasn't very good, but it's gotten better because Diane's helped me in the kitchen <laughs> with serving food. So um, maybe one day that'll be my gift to cooking. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> my girls might disagree with you. But uh, okay. Anyways, this one is uh, from Eastern Europe. From what I have been taught, there are two types of Christians or believers, as you put it. Those who are Wesleyan. Am I saying that correctly? Mm-hmm. Okay. And believe that you can lose your salvation and those who are Calvinists and cannot lose their salvation. You have never told us who you are and what you believe. So do you believe you can lose your salvation or not? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I, I, I usually try to avoid that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you asked me to ask the question. <laughs> that question came. <laughs> and there it is, man. Yeah. Uh, by the way, just so everybody knows in our audience, the reason why we put uh, Eastern Europe, we don't know if you're from Moldova or Russia or Ukraine or Poland because it's in Russian. Mm-hmm. And so all we know is a lot of them speak Russian, so we have to say Eastern Europe, mm-hmm. you know. But back to the question that I, I'm still avoiding. <laughs> <laughs> you tick tock, you got 11 minutes. Okay, so I, I, I was started going... And when I became a Christian, I started going, I was going to the Nazarene church, which is a Wesleyan, Armenian Wesleyan church. Okay. I think a lot of Wesley's ideas came from Armenians. So I went to a Wesleyan Armenian church. Okay. And I went to uh, a university that was also of the same belief system, that doctrine, if you will, the Wesleyan doctrine. And then later I went to a university that was more Calvinist doctrine. So I got to really look at both of them. I think one of the the harmful things that our universities do for pastors and teachers and so forth that are going to be out in ministry, they only teach one that they think is true. They don't teach both so you know both. They just teach you the one and tell you how the other one's wrong. Mm-hmm. So I got to go to both, learn both, and I've decided I'm neither. So if you want to know whether I'm Wesleyan or if I'm Calvinist, I'm neither. I, I think they both have uh, ideas that are good. I think that there's some ideas that are bad. I don't look at things. I see that, that what Calvinism has done and what Wesleyan has done is they, they made things almost sound like, or maybe it's the people that teach it today, make it like it's a, it's a, it's a mechanical thing. I turn on a switch, I'm saved. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're Wesleyan, I can turn it off and I'm not, I'm not saved. Hmm. You know, if I'm Calvinist, I turn it on, break the thing, and so I'm I'm always saved because the, the switch is always on. So it doesn't matter what I do, it can never go off. Wow. And I, I don't believe in that. I, I I think it's all about relationship, and we follow him. We we 
we adore him, we love him, we, we become like him. It's that relationship. If we fall down, we get up, we learn from him and go on. I mean, it's all about becoming like Jesus. It's all about that that life that says, I want to be like you. It's like a little boy that says, I want to be like my daddy. Right. Now, so he mimics, he imitates, he does things. Does he fail at areas? Absolutely. Of course, yeah. Do we fail at things that Jesus, absolutely. It doesn't mean we lose our salvation. And it doesn't mean that, you know, just because that we're going to have non-salvation forever if we decide we want to live a life of sin. And gee, uh, if I'm a, what they say, Calvinist, I decide that I want to, um, once I became saved, I'm saved forever. But I'm going to go ahead and, and worship sex and worship Buddha and worship everything else and think, well, I'm still saved because I I'm a, I got once I'm saved, I'm always saved. Well, that's not true. Scripturally, that can't be true because mm-hmm. in the book of Hebrews, it gives us warnings about turning away and worshiping somewhere else right. and walking away from God. I don't believe on the Wesleyan side that you can say, gee, I'm saved. But if I do something wrong that I know is wrong. If I die, I go to hell because I didn't ask for forgiveness. Well, that's absurd. The Diet Bible doesn't teach that. But see, they want to teach. Well, look what they say. You get resaved and resaved and resaved. Or look what you say. You know, you can uh, do something wrong and go to hell. That's not biblical. It's, not, it's, it's an interpretive thing that they need to fix. But I don't think it's going to happen. I think that as we live in a relationship, if I want to decide, let's say I decide I want to worship you. Okay. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> I don't. I'm completely and utterly flawed. <laughs> but what happens is, is that on no, one end, one end of the spectrum, it says, well, you know, you lost your salvation immediately. The other one says, well, you'll never lose it, even if you're worshiping you. Well, I'm on the belief that as I've turned away from from Jesus and I'm worshiping you, the Holy Spirit is going to come knocking at my door. Hey, start trying to convict me of what I'm doing is wrong and turn me back toward God or Jesus. Back to what I originally said about following God, the Bible, and also him himself and his characteristics. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the Old Testament, God had his people and they were saved. They were his children and, and so forth. They said they had salvation. But then there were times they turned away from him and followed other gods or did other things. God never said, you lost your salvation, now you have to be resaved. He never, ever said that. What he did was he sent prophets to say, hey, you're going the wrong way. You need to turn back. He mm-hmm. sent the spirit to send them back the other way. So I don't think anything is different today than it was then. God still expects us to live in holiness and righteousness and in faith and obedience. Mm-hmm. It's a, it was that way then and it's that way now. So if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, isn't there isn't everything supposed to be the same as far as that goes in our life and relationship with mm-hmm. Him? Absolutely. You know, I think when we start following doctrines of men, we're going to start ruling out the scriptural teaching. And so if you go back to the scripture, you can weed out some of that stuff, bring some of that stuff in. For example, you know, I believe in, believe in free will. Calvinism kind of takes that out. Mm-hmm. I believe in the sovereignty of God. Wesleyan kind of takes that out. I think we need a good balance of things. And I think we need to understand that. Paul says, work out your salvation, you know. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that from the scriptures, not from people's teachings. There's where, that's who I am. <laughs> and you're good. And I love Alan. And I love his wife, Susan. Um, 
Yeah, that's good. Because I was going to say, I've gotten to the point now that when I get convicted, I say, thank you for the conviction. Thank you for the conviction. Because I was getting off course. I need to recalibrate back. But, um, okay. Uh, this question kind of feeds into that. Um, from Eastern Europe, I hear people say that the Bible is all figurative. I hear other people say the Bible is all literal. And I hear that God wrote the Bible. My question is this. Why would God write a Bible that is so confusing to understand? And why would God write a Bible that is not clear? In other words, whether it is either literal or figurative. And I've heard that before. Yeah. And there's a lot of people, especially if you're not in the Christian world or in study, that you you think that because there's a lot of people that say that. I, I understand that. The Bible is neither all figurative or all literal. It, neither one. I mean, the, the Bible has historical value because of things that have happened well that's literal i mean obviously now the lessons in there may have figure, figurative teachings i mean you look at you know whether it's in the prophets like isaiah or ezekiel or even in Re- revelation you'll have that literal that figurative teaching to literal beings or situations uh, you also have music or songs or psalms or poetry well that's neither or you know, those are, you know, that's just, that's not figurative or literal. So basically, it's not about one or the other. God gives us this book to help teach us how to live. He teaches us by historical value. He teaches us by, you know, like Jesus came and taught on parables. So we have stories that help us understand. We have stories of, of actual things happening that help us understand. We have things watching how people failed and how God reached in to change things to help us understand today. Mm-hmm. So the Bible is about helping us get into a position in our lives so we have a good, solid relationship with Him. And it's always been that way. It doesn't matter if it's from Genesis you know, to Malachi or if it's from, you know, Matthew to Revelation, it's all the same. It's all about that relationship, being found in the relationship and understanding that, you know, hey, you know, it's not a figurative thing. It's not a literal thing. Even when you get into the end times, you know, people are thinking it's all one or the other. No, it's both because you can see evidence of both. And when you see evidence of both, you know, it's not only one or only the other. Good question. Do we have time for one more? Yes. All right. <laughs> okay, from Moldova, is paradise heaven? <laughs> okay, that goes back to Old Testament and old Jewish teaching. Wait, First Testament, Tim. <laughs> For, okay, gotcha. First Testament. Well, actually, some of the teaching is in the um, Talmud, okay, mm-hmm. and in Jewish and in Judaism teaching. Paradise, literally the, the word in there is, is, a, is a garden or a, a place of rest, it doesn't translate heaven, okay, number one. Number two, the teaching, the Jewish teaching of paradise is this. It's, a, it's like a garden or a place of rest that when you die, you go there. And if you're in right standing with God, you're in this paradise. And you're in the bosom of Abraham protecting you in paradise, in this garden, until the day of resurrection. That's the Old Testament or Jewish Judaism teaching of old. Especially in the Talmud, you'll see these writings. Mm-hmm. So... To say it's to for Jesus to say to the guy in the cross, today you'll be with him in paradise, 
He's talking to this guy who understands Hebrew teaching, understands Old Testament teaching. So therefore, it's going to go back to the Old Testament teaching because that's who they were. These guys were not, you know, five years ago talking about things in the United States. It didn't happen that way. This is back 2,000 years ago about things that happened 2,000 years before that. Mm -hmm. Teachings about 4,000 years ago. So when you take those teachings and understand that paradise is not heaven, it's, it's a place of rest. It's a garden. It's a place that is protection that you will be with Jesus until a time of either rapture or return. Hmm. Or as in the Old Testament or Old Teaching says, until the resurrection. They call it the resurrection in the Old Teaching in Hebrew. So it's it's a garden. It's a place of rest. And for people to say it's heaven and so therefore we go straight to heaven because that's what Jesus said. That's false teaching. It's not true. It's not accurate. You have to go back to Old Testament, you know, wording and teaching and so forth. And I love that. Like the shack when they did the movie with the little girl and she was in paradise and it was the garden and stuff. And I love thinking like my mom and you know my dad, both who have passed, but uh, but they may be on that as well. Um, I think it's beautiful. And I know um, Catholicism, they teach about purgatory. Um, and so uh, I think that's a little bit different than the heaven, concept, right. the paradise concept. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's all the time we have for today. So hope we got most of the questions. <laughs> and so I thank you for joining me today. This has been really kind of nice and uh, I guess a little more transparent for myself. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> you got to ask the hard questions. Yeah, there you go. So thank you for joining me. Uh, uh, please share my uh, videos. Now we're on, uh, since we're on YouTube, uh, please subscribe to my uh, channel and uh, like them, comment on them and questions. And uh, I really love everybody. And, and I really thank you so much for supporting this ministry. You all have a great day, a great week. Aloha. Alan Cutting and the Believer's Journey radio program seeks to teach the Word of God in a clear and practical manner. For more information, please visit the podcast page at am630theword.com.